to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Remember Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you to Yola Tango, as always. I didn't even know we were doing a podcast today because I blame Isaac Lee, as oh usual, God. for any mistake. And uh. I thought we were going on holiday this week <laughs> because Isaac Lee is going on holiday. So, therefore, we don't do podcasts on Isaac's schedule. <laughs> so, if he was going to go on holiday, we were going to take a hiatus for a week. But now I see Isaac. So, I'm, uh, I'm a little perplexed. But I guess now we're just going to do one podcast for this week. Um, well, no, this is going to run next Monday. Next okay, Monday. Okay, hold on. Let's get this straight. So Thursday, we're releasing Simone Tong. And then Monday, uh-huh. we're releasing this as the mailbag. So I'm editing this before I leave. Okay, we're, leave this in because I don't want anyone to hear otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh that we're on. I just wanted to reinforce that you just proved my case. Uh-huh. We're on your schedule. You got you are not. Let me just back this up. Let me back this up. Let me back this up. Welcome to the Isaac Lee Show. I am am your host, David Chang. Oh no. With Chris Yang. Oh no, no, no. So uh, anyway, I didn't know Isaac was gonna be here. Um, there was a mix up, but we're gonna still release one podcast this week. And this podcast is gonna be for next week, so it'll be back normal. You've already heard the Simone Tong podcast last week. Yes. And now you're hearing this on Monday. So uh, you want me to just go away? Isaac, you can <laughs> no. take this, right? <laughs> no, no, please. You got this? No, please, you got please, this, please. Sonny? So another, another thing that was a surprise to me is, Chris, um, I felt abandoned by Isaac Lee. You know, it was so so crucial to our early quarantine podcast, and he just disappeared. you know why? We're not important enough as the NBA. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's true. We had a lot of Isaac on the show in the early days, and, and then he was just sort of like, you know, guys... I did you a solid. I showed up a couple <laughs> times. I sang your I sang your dad's song. Uh, you just know leave what me this alone. is like for anyone that wants to know what this is like. You ever been spurned in high school at the <laughs> lunch table, where all of a sudden you meet people for the first time and you think you're friends and you're eating at a lunch table, and then like, oh, this is gonna be my crew, and then like. Friday happens, the weekend happens, and then literally just one Monday, oh they don't God. sit with you anymore. Oh yeah, the God. craziest thing is that we we made those friendship bracelets too, Dave. We had, <laughs> we had made them, those lanyards by hand. Dave Chang sat there and yeah. made a little lanyard for you. And uh, you know, I'm triggered because this has made me feel <laughs> like that all over again. Oh. It's true. So Isaac's a busy person, you know. So he says, and he doesn't have enough time for the listeners, Dave, or Chris Yang, or myself. For the Dave, Dave Chang show I have, because I have he puts produced, all of us. I have produced, I have edited, I have mixed, I have uploaded every single podcast since COVID nineteen went down in March. This is the first time, time that I, I, am- I yes, yes, you are. But well, you know what? It's a hand me down. Oh all my god! Not in prime time and not in your best, best. Like you know, we've been getting a lot of emails and and uh, complaints about the production quality wow. and just a lot of these things because. Oh my god. It just seems like to a lot of people, the focus isn't there. It's okay. That's what happens. You know, Isaac, that's what happens when you're a winner, right? You forget about the small people. Uh, wow. Yeah. Most of these, we're doing a, we're doing a mailbag episode today. And I will say most of the questions are, are just around the, the sound mixing and, and some of the editing that's been done on here. There's very specific questions. I also, weirdly, I, if you listen to the Ringer NBA show that Isaac's on, number one, and produces, the quality is pristine oh and as lucid as and it's almost like the siren call in the odyssey it is like that <laughs> enrapturing i mean way to put uh, all your efforts into something that is not the dave chang show oh my god thank you can i just say that i this this began as a as a joke 
I really do feel like Dave has worked himself up into a place where he's like, he really is triggered by like some like high school memories here. And it is, it is, it's maybe about you, Isaac. Yeah. It might not be. I, I don't think it's about me, number one, because I mean, I, I take a lot of pride in my mixing. Let's get this right. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I have purchased with my own money a microphone modeler so I can change your SM58s into the Neumann U87. Like, I, I do a lot of stuff to make this sound good. Don't get me on the sound quality. If anybody's listening and, and can tell us if Isaac is just bullshitting and making up numbers and things right now, please write in to ask David. Maybe go to me. I think uh, I heard a niner in there. <laughs> uh, before we get in a mailbag, this is fun just talking shit. <laughs> no, it's um, not. It's not for me. <laughs> what are your thoughts about the NBA, Isaac? Can, can I first say, mm-hmm. I think it is amazing to have a game every day. Oh, my God. And like really good matchups without any crappy teams except for the Wizards. <laughs> well, let's talk about the videos that you've been sending me and Isaac every yeah. day too. We've got to talk about that. Mm-hmm. What, what have you been? What have you been sending over to us, Chang? Uh, since I've abandoned, like I thought I was going to be one of those like self righteous parents, like my son will never watch TV or any <laughs> YouTube or iPad. Uh, that that went by the wayside pretty early on because now I can't uh, change him. Uh, without showing him a YouTube clip of some <laughs> plane dr- or some car driving. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and he saw me. Uh, like, the first game was Clippers versus the Lakers, right? He saw me watching this because I was very excited because I haven't watched sports in a long time. And his jaw dropped a little bit. And he walked over and he took a seat on my lap. And he just watched. And I had not seen him be calm ever. <laughs> <laughs> And he just watched it for a few minutes, and then he got off my lap, and then he wedged himself into the couch, and he was there for 30 minutes. And I'm like, wow, my son is a prodigy at watching the NBA. (laughs) It it should be said that Hugo's chill vibe is unrivaled. Like, he's just like legs stretched out, crossed, hands behind his head, just like Dave is talking to him in this video, just asking his opinion, and Hugo's just like... Can you pipe down, man? I am trying he's to watch the game. He's just like in the, the zone. Game. He's like so focused yeah. on the and game. And he's got a he's got a toy remote control. <laughs> so he even is going to doing the clicker thing at the TV. Let me look. Let me see what the local channels have. Yeah, better, he's he's uh, better commentators. And it's all basketball because I've tried to watch him, uh, like get him to watch baseball. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care about that. Not a surprise. He's very up to the moment in the zeitgeist of the world. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you know. Golf, no, but we watched Deanna Torisi and the uh, what Diana Taurasi. Yeah, yeah. What team was oh, the Phoenix? Yeah, we Mercury. The Mercury, and he was the same. Holy hell! It was like he just loves basketball. Huh. Damn. We sat down and watched the WNBA good quarter, and I was like, "There's something about basketball. he's got a basketball hoop too." So he, mm. he's like, "Been." I think that's another reason, but he doesn't care about anything else. Do you get the sense that he understands the action that is going on? Did you get the sense that he's like looking at it like, oh, they're running the pick and roll? Oh, no, wow. you you know, know, like- he, he, on on the etch a sketch, he he channeled Tex Winters <laughs> and he drew me the triangle offense in several plays, and I was like, my son is a fucking prodigy. <laughs> Oh man! He's like, you really need a big man that can pass the ball, right. and that's going to make the triangle work. And I said, wow! In the modern game, since I've been alive, right, seventeen right. months, yeah. seventeen months I've been alive, the modern game has really evolved. He's like, and you know what he also told me? He's like, he doesn't buy the bull bull hype. Oh wow! I was like, wow, okay. wow! And he called Michael Porter before anyone else called Michael Porter, and I just like, was that like, that guy can score. That guy can hoop. And he, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to brag, but he also said. 
He told me. What's actually more weird was that he articulated these words perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dad, I think that TJ Warren is going to lead the league in scoring in the bubble. And I said, what the <laughs> fuck, man? <laughs> Hugo, I didn't curse. That's the only thing that didn't happen is I didn't curse. The rest is completely right, true. Right, right. Everything else is plausible. TJ Warren, I mean, the Phoenix Suns traded him for cash considerations. He's like, trust me on this one. I know it's a dark horse. Trust me. TJ Warren, he's going to lead 35 points a game. And he was like, you know, yeah. the Phoenix only did it to clear up cap space for Ricky Rubio. But still, you know, he said those in that in, in that order. I mean, listen, everyone's good at something. My, if my son winds up being only good at the NBA and watching the NBA, then I, I feel like, uh, you know, my life is complete. <laughs> <laughs> Your parenting work is done, man. You did it. Because, I mean, this isn't a dad's episode. It's a mini dad's. The fact that he's learned how to lie down at the perfect incline mm, yeah. is unreal. Like I said, man, his his chill vibe. It's unreal. It's amazing. He looks so... I don't think in my life I've I've been as relaxed as him. He's the man. He loves the NBA. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I'll be honest. I never thought watching basketball with a son would be this much fun. And... uh I'm sure someone's listening being like, what a shitty parent. I can't believe he's letting a 17-month-old baby watch the NBA. I was like, well, you just don't have a prodigy. No, you got to enjoy it because who knows? Maybe next week he'll be like, I don't give a shit about the NBA, Dad. I just care about this box, this cardboard box over here. So you got to like, Ying, it sounds like as much of it as you can. It sounds like you're speaking from uh, personal experience there. Do, do your kids <laughs> not like the NBA? Oh, yeah. I No, I mean, oh, my God. No matter what the game is, Whatever sport it is, my daughter thinks it's basketball. It's really, it's really terrible. Wow. I was watching like a soccer match, and she's like, "You can keep watching basketball," and I was like, "It's not. Ugh, just get out of here, kid. Just get out of here." Oh, I just got, I just got a text from your crew at the your NBA <laughs> podcast. Oh my god! And they said you're not allowed at their lunch table anymore. <laughs> Looks like we're turning this into a little bit of the NBA show on the Dave Chang oh, show. I heard you were talking to the well, NBA with those those other guys. That's not cool. I mean, it's yeah. great that I wasn't I was uninvited from a lunch table. We should not be physically in contact with each other <laughs> <laughs> at all during this time. Um, Isaac, I've known you now for three years. So that's the quickest thing you've ever said. Wow. Yeah, I'm so okay. proud of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For our listeners, if you've ever heard me say anything witty or anything smart, <laughs> that's because I have always have 10 minutes of just like buffering and loading and like thinking about it. And then I'll say it and then I edit it down. So it makes me sound a lot smarter than I really am. Yeah. He just inserts his clever little quips. Right, after right. The fact. I actually, yeah. I actually like record it afterwards, record my answers afterwards and I just put it in, <laughs> you know. Just all his sick burns. So um, if you're listening, this has been a giant experiment to see how many people we can drive away and turn <laughs> off the podcast. <laughs> and I feel like we did it. Mission Spotify has amazing technology, and they're going to show me exactly how many people turned off this podcast because they don't care about <laughs> Isaac Lee, the NBA, or my son watching... <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we're hitting all the hot button issues. Just shut up and dribble, Dave. Just shut up and dribble. That's what they want. <laughs> okay. But back onto regular schedule programming. We are going to do a mailbag show that is going to air on Monday. And you'll hear this on Monday after the Simone Tong podcast. <laughs> so, Chris Yang, what is what do we got here? Okay, we've got we've got a few questions here from the Ask Dave at Major Domo Media account and also the iTunes page again. If you if you give us five stars on there and throw a question in there, we will do. We will give you priority in answering them. 
Let's start here. Speaking of shutting up and dribbling, uh, Mark Hautala wrote to us in July about MSG. He says, I have referred to Doritos as nature's most perfect food many times in my life, but only recently realized that the statement is true because of MSG. I purchased my little bag of Ajinomoto, but don't know when to deploy it or how much to deploy. When should I use it? How much should I use? When should I use alternatives such as fish sauce, Parmesan, miso, nutritional yeast, tomato paste, etc.? When should I use both MSG and alternatives? I think basically, Dave, the question is, you've you've talked about MSG enough that people are are, are are taking you up and going out and buying their baggies. Do you have any sort of general rules of thumb for usage? I usually use it when I need to enhance the umami or glutamic acid in a dish, and I don't want to use soy sauce or Parmesan, or I, it doesn't seem right, you know? Um, but I don't always use it because a lot of foods already have you know, natural glutamic acid or it's high in it. But I'll tell you, for example, yesterday I made brisket in the smoker and I seasoned it with salt and pepper and just a a little, this is a pun intended, an accent of MSG uh, <laughs> sprinkled over it. And, um, you know, like sometimes I'll add it to my cacio e pepe. A lot of times it like helps me out if I'm low on Parmesan or Grano Patano or Pecorino Romano or something like that and I'm going to make Cacio e pepe, you know, I might, and you're not supposed to add butter to cacio e pepe, number one. But like if I, I'm low, I might add butter to my olive oil and add an, a little bit of MSG, right? Or I'll add it a little bit to the sauce of tomatoes or whatever, right? Just to punch it up or soups and stews. I always add it at the end because a lot of times, a lot of the things that I cook already have layers of umami and I don't want umami bombs where I, I hate it when people try to take it to the nth degree of umami and MSG. So I always use it incredibly judiciously. I've seen people not do that, and that is that is not appropriate in my book. But a lot of times I don't because I'm using fish sauce or, this is a total plug, Momofuku season salts because I don't have to. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to because it's all natural. And it replaces my salt and pepper. And if I'm using that, I don't have to use MSG. So, you know, you got to like, got to pick your spots to use it. And a lot of times, if you just look, there's probably MSG in your food already, like in a sauce. You know, we talked about Laogan Ma with Eddie. Like, I have it and I use it all the time. Uh, in addition to our chili crisp, which I'm thankful that Ryan sent me 12 bottles oh, of, so I'm very, very excited. I went through mine so fast. I went through my one jar so fast. It was terrible. And I got re-upped on a, uh, my savory salt and not the re-up pack that gave me a full kilo. I felt like a drug overlord. I was so happy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of times like Lao Gamma, I'll put on rice. I like eating it with just rice sometimes or like sauteed lettuce is like my favorite thing. Sauteed iceberg. Uh, I don't have to add MSG to that or even soy sauce because there's MSG already in the Laogunma. Or there's another one I use. There's, I, I, I got to remember the name. I'll, I'll post it. It's a fermented product that has fermented soybeans and chilies. And I was like, it's got MSG in it. So even like ranch, not that I put MSG in my salads, but my salad of choice is ranch dressing because ranch dressing, commercially bought ranch dressing has MSG in it. So, you know, 
as you can see, I could talk about this forever. Like, <laughs> so we, basically, Chang- say, what about kimchi? I'm like, well, no, you don't have to because if you use sewuja, that's got you know a lot of glutamic acid, blah, blah, blah. I might do, like, if it's a not an aged steak, I might. Like, the brisket wasn't aged. And if you dry age something, it's going to naturally increase the glutamic acid, contrary to Bill Simmons and Dave Cho and their bullshit about dry aged beef and not. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I, I think you got to find ways. Just don't, it can be used too much and it can be used as a crutch. And that's what sandbagging is all about. You got to do it enough where it's people don't know. You're doing, right? That's <laughs> so, the key. So I, I realize we've been talking about MSG for a while, but I, I just, for Mark's sake here, I just wanted to sort of summarize, basically, like, you, you don't use soy sauce and fish sauce. You would use MSG when you need to up the umami, but you don't want to change the fl- other the flavor profile otherwise of the dish. Yeah. Like, I'm not putting it on eggs. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, like, like, like sunny side eggs or something like that. Or anything that has heavy soy. You know, like, I'm not. Like anything that has umami, I'm really not adding it. Or sometimes I have, and it just needs that a little bit extra. Can you like check the seasoning in quite the same way, Dave, as like, you know, you you taste a dish, you add salt, you check the seasoning. Like when you add MSG, are you tasting and being like more or less, you know, or or, or is that really possible? Yeah, it is. You, you can taste it. And sometimes it just needs that savory element, which is why we called our savory salt savory salt. You want that savoriness. And like, I always say you want to add MSG just enough where people don't know you're adding it, much like a lot of professional athletes. Just do enough performance <laughs> enhancing without overdoing it. <laughs> yeah, it's so- a performance enhancer. That's what it is, right? And right. you don't want to do too much because you don't want to get caught. <laughs> All right, so Mark, the answer is sprinkle as much MSG on so that you, you don't get the back knee and the the rage, but uh, enough that you get a little boost in your next your yeah. next game. Yeah, you don't do too much where you, you know someone in your house is like, uh, we need to check your urine. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will say that you know there there was a Twitter thread recently with Kenji Lopez Alt, who we're going to have on this podcast, and I said I want to join his podcast, and we talked about his winning recipe in Recipe Club Volume 2, where, again, not a surprise, that I won again using the great Kenji's chicken parmesan recipe. Oh, man. It's it's, it's that good. Uh, Priya's not here to defend herself, so I don't care. (laughs) Uh, I will say, though, that, um, you know, he said he ate some MSG recently, sprinkled it on. It doesn't mean that he's not going to use it, but he felt flushed, and I think he said he had some response to it. What exactly? I don't know, but he doesn't know for sure. And I think this is a, a totally important to talk about because you can have a sensitivity to it. I'm not a medical doctor, but I also think that we need to know more. And I am, for one, am never going to say this is definitive or anything like this, but I think we need to know more. Maybe it's MSG in conjunction with other other elements or other ingredients that you're eating or another something. Who the fuck knows, right? There's so much we don't know because people have already assumed that like it's bad for you. We don't need to fucking study it any further. I I know a lot more about the production of MSG than I care to admit. And there are some impurities in it that get produced on a commercial level, which I won't bore you with or scare you with. But there's like, we're talking like micro, 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 microscopic elements. But 
you know, one of my goals is to be able to make pure, pure, like Breaking Bad MSG, like I, I and like organic. I want to make organic MSG that's pure, as like, you know, <laughs> Walter White type of shit. You know, right. uh, I'm serious, and. That to me is the goal: is to make the purest MSG mankind has ever produced. Yeah, just to get that clean, clean umami high for sure. Heisenberg, uh, Heisenberg MSG, Heisenberg MSG. Uh, let's stay on the um, condiment topic here. Uh, Dan Marcelane has sent in a whole list of questions, but one of them and you just touched on it a little bit. But he was he was sort of wondering what your what the chili crisp will go best on, and similarly with Laogan Ma, how do you? What what do you practically use these on in your in your cooking in your house these these chili crunch toppings? Like laogama to me is like specifically for things that are going to be like traditionally to me like Chinese. Like the other day, the green that I think is the champion green to saute is pea shoots. If you haven't had pea shoots and you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a reason why it's always the most expensive vegetable on a uh, <laughs> Chinese restaurant menu. It's by far and away always like priced 30% more than anything else because it's so good. I made it the other day, and I already said that when I saute iceberg or any kind of vegetable, I almost always, now now because not everyone in my family can eat it spicy, I almost always have it on the side and drizzle it on my greens. Or like, what was it the other day? I made a fried rice. That was good. Like a lot of it to me, I started to like put in its compartments. Like if I want to make peep and pop, I don't, serve it with laogamo. I serve it with gochujang. Like there's things that like, I'm, you know, Chris, I'm very traditional in certain ways and keep things in its sort of lane. But what I like about the momofuku chili crisp is that it was designed to sort of flex into a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not putting laogamo on pizza. Mm-hmm. I am putting momofuku chili crisp on pizza. <laughs> Right, it's it's so hard to explain, but whether it's like something to do with the flavor profile, but I'm 100% with you. It's like, I, I don't understand people who don't or who aren't super particular about which condiment goes with which food. Like, I don't understand it. You have to be. Like, I will tell you what Laogama is very good on is French fries. Oh, yeah. I've done a, have you ever right. done a little Laogama and mayo on your French fries? <laughs> or are you not disgusting? Uh, you <laughs> like know what's QP disgusting, Laogan Chris? I, I'm pretty sure you don't have your uh, pants buttoned up. <laughs> I would if they. I would if I could. I would if I could. That is a that is a combination too far, and you should apologize to everyone listening. I, okay, I, I guess I shouldn't put disgusting. more oil onto my my oil based condiment. Whatever, guys. Yeah. But like to me, if you're going to mix mayo, it's sriracha, right? Like every, there's certain things that have its buckets, and you know that's why I have like four different kinds of chili-ish things. Mm-hmm. That of just like the chili oil kind, right? And then I have other kinds of hot things. It, it it all has its buckets. And right now I'm exploring all to all the things that it can go with. And that's the difference with having something that, again, like is a Venn diagram that can touch upon a lot of things. It, you know what it's like, Isaac? Yeah. <laughs> it's like being a positionless player. You're not <laughs> sure exactly where to put it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like, uh, maybe we'll just say a bowl bowl or a... Uh, Sure. A point center or something like that. It's like, does it really make sense? Mm. I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to see. Okay. So <laughs> I keep on bringing us back to this condiment thing. I, I do want to say one thing. Isaac, at one point, I think you had heard something about Dave's 
and Mobile Fuku's plans eventually to do a, a sesame oil mm, as yes. one of their their consumer offerings, and you uh-huh. got very excited about that. I Can got you talk, tell me a little bit about excited. that. Sesame oil is probably like my favorite Korean thing ever created in the culinary landscape. I don't know if it was created by Koreans. Ooh. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was like a Japanese invention that Koreans co-opted Whoa, or something. Whoa, come on, dude. Don't I don't know. It could be the, the other way around. I don't know the history of sesame oil. Hey, uh, you just went up. If this was like around the horn, you just went up like 25 points immediately, <laughs> Isaac, because you just trashed all of China oh without even a blink of an eye. That was unbelievable. I, I don't know. I don't know that who came flawless. up with it. Flawless. But to me, sesame oil, it, it belongs on any kind of Asian, East Asian food that, you know, like it just makes everything better. I don't know what, what it is. I don't know why, but it's so magical. Like, you put it on anything and the fragrance of it, the aroma of it really just envelops the entire you gotta taste. You got to be a specific, specific. It's toasted sesame oil. Toasted sesame oil. Yeah. Roasted sesame oil. And I'm going to show you something. Uh, this is a sneak peek. We're not going to describe everything, but I want everyone to hear your reactions. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh. <laughs> yes. Dave has, Dave has shared oh his screen. God. and we're, we're seeing some very proprietary photos here. Oh, oh my no. God. Hold on. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? No, where'd it go? Uh-huh. Oh, no. My mouth now is we're watering. Re- now, now we're just now we're just reading Dave's emails. Now <laughs> this is great. <laughs> oh Lord! Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, oh yes. Oh, that looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. How many ounces is that thing? Uh, I'm not sure. We haven't decided yet on the bo- the sizes, but you can see now. That without describing the the bottle itself or the packaging, because Marguerite Mariscal would be very upset at me. <laughs> Sorry, Marge. What do you think of the packaging? It's fucking brilliant, honestly. <laughs> it like it has such like a, a restaurant vibe. It's amazing. Is that re- oh my god? Wow. It's ingenious. And it has it's got the, the little Eddie Huang the QR code. It's it's QR impossible code. to talk about it without describing what it looks like. But I, I will say that once people see this and like it's actually ingenious. The packaging is so <laughs> is smart. Uh, come on, it's it's pretty good. Just from that a graphic design standpoint, it's like it's so meaningful. And ugh, you fucker. Screams restaurant without yeah, being it's, restaurant. It screams Anyone restaurant. Anyone that works in restaurant. That's genius, man. That's truly genius. I'm going to also tell you that uh, if you listen very carefully, I'm going to say something. I created it. No, I didn't create it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my idea. It's 100% my idea. No, it's not. <laughs> I wish I wish I came up with this idea that we will share with people soon, but I'm very, very proud of the team that made it. Purely from a graphic design standpoint, it's very cool. It's very smart. Yeah. Um, it's really Marge and Ryan and, and the whole team. Like they they worked so hard on this and I'm so proud of them because it's fucking awesome. So this is you're gonna have your own sesame oil. Oh my god. It's so good, man. It's gonna be your own sesame wait. oil. I cannot restaurant wait. grade sesame oil. Cannot wait. In an amber bottle because it's gonna protect the the contents from the UV so it doesn't spoil. Oh, is that what the purpose is? I had no idea. Yeah. Huh. Um, okay, we're, we're, we're deep into this. I've managed to get us through one question. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I, and you know what? I'm going to stay on Dan Marceline because he took time to write a bunch of questions here, one of which is vaguely hurtful to me personally, but the other kind of keeps us on the same topic and something that I was wondering about for both of you. Dan is asking, are there any high-quality products that ship nationally on a subscription basis? Or if not, that ship nationally, that would be good to purchase as a one-off slash as needed. And this is something I was wondering about. Have you guys, in, in the last few months of quarantining and isolation, run into genius mail-order purchases? 
I've got one if you want me to start. I've got I've got yeah, a good I don't, one. I don't think I have one, Chris, if you wanna So Noel Cornelio from the Momofuku office actually sent me a couple of boxes of frozen bake at home pastries from Portos mm. in LA. And I will say this as my hot take. Baking it from frozen is better than than buying it at the shop. It was fucking amazing. Ooh, it's like you're, ten dollars shipping on some some Los Angeles sacrament there. That's no, a, it's like because I. You know what, Chang? You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet you that the pastries you get at like a big bakery like that are probably all being baked from those same frozen commissary bake uh, pastries anyway. And if you can do it at home, like it's just going to be that much better. Um, you ever see that Larry David episode where he oh, gets God. a fatwa declared on him? Oh, God. Uh, I am not touching this. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm saying I love Portos, and I got a great... Oh, fuck, dude. Oh, uh, you good. basically... Chris King just told Portos, one of the iconic institutions How much of Los I love Angeles, them, that, that I love they them. bake everything from Frozen. <laughs> Chris, you're telling on yourself a lot this episode. I don't know uh, why you're I'm doing this. I was trying to. I was trying to show my first love with Portos. the mayo thing. First, now with the portos. I just love to dip my my guava cheese pastries into into Kewpie mayo. No, um, uh, I, I will tell you what I got. I got is um, <laughs> so much shit over. There. I actually have not really gotten too much, but my friend Sid, Sid Butler of La Savi Fav and French Kiss Records, and Ooh, he's yeah. uh, on the the band for the uh, Seth Meyers Late Show. He sent me one of the most beautiful gifts two times. Once when Grace was pregnant and we're about to give, she was about to give birth. And at the beginning of quarantine, he sent me Lou Monty's. Is that how you pronounce it? Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's deep dish pizza. Yeah. Mm. Very good. And the only problem is this. There's only really one downside. I don't think one person is supposed to eat one pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a that's a real makes you feel like a fatty, uh, and uh, and when you share one pizza with four people, you're just like I don't really want to share it with four people, so you feel like a bad person. Uh, yeah, that that is I've I've had that though. The frozen bake at home Lou Malnati's pizzas are fucking awesome too. I will not accuse Lou Malnati's of baking from frozen at the restaurants, but I I really want to get some stuff off Gold Belly, but you know I don't always I haven't. I've gotten some stuff shipped, but I want to get, you know, Chris Bianca pizza. If you want to support a bunch of chefs and I have nothing to do with Gold Belly at all, that's one way you can buy stuff from chefs around the country right now. You know, when it was California King salmon season, I think it's just the tail end of it. I ordered a, a slab from, I can't remember the purveyor, just going online. Like I, I've been trying to buy raw products from people, but the only thing that was truly frozen that I bought or was sent to me and I thought was outrageously good was Lou Malnati's deep dish pizza. How about you, Isaac? Have you gotten anything frozen? Uh, I have actually been, because I live alone and I don't have anyone else to cook for outside of myself, I've actually been taking your advice and just been freezing all of my produce that I get. I'll just prep it and I'll put it in Ziploc bags or, or quart containers and just putting them in the freezer. And it's been so much easier for me to cook because all I have to do is take it out of the freezer, defrost it, and now I can just cook. Like, I don't need to prep anything. Oh, I, I will tell you, too. That's a good one. I will tell you one thing that I bought because I feel like LA has the best supermarkets in the country, mm -hmm. best farmer's markets, arguably. Um, sorry, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Unbelievable. Hot dog. 
Oh. Hot dog. If you don't know what hot dog is, it's like a oh, Korean yes. fried stuffed pancake that's flat. And I bought some stuff at a Korean supermarket on a whim, thinking it was like a toaster strudel, because that's like the, what it's sort of like. It was also raw, much like Chris's folly of saying Porto's is frozen raw, and then you bake. This oh one is an anonymous giant sort of Korean company that probably sells medicine, makes TVs, and just happens to also make you know frozen hot dog. You pan fry it in a raw state, and I was like, Holy fucking shit. This is better than the stuff that I tried to make. It's so oh, good. It was so good. The cinnamon flavor, outrageously good. I highly recommend it. And what I've also learned is most Korean, and I, I can't speak on behalf of Chinese frozen food products or Thai or Filipino, but Korean frozen foods prepared is unbelievably good. Yes. The mandus, all that shit, man. If you want to like deep dive at how good Frozen food, prepared food can be not just from a restaurant. It's good. Also, I did buy a bag of dumplings from Kang Kang Food Court. Oh. Frozen. Wait, you can buy frozen ones from Kang Kang? And then yes, pan fry them? Holy shit, that's amazing. You can even buy soup dumplings. Oh, I'm very jealous about that. Um, last note I'll say on that, Dave, you know, not only can you support restaurants this way, and we should mention like you can order from like Roy, Roy's Panettone as, as always, like an amazing product to ship, but you can buy from farms too. And, and Dave, you were telling me like ordering from oh. Frog Hollow is oh, fucking oh, awesome. So, so so I did order food when I was on uh, New York from Frog's Hollow when I couldn't like, we couldn't really leave uh, the house and we got avocados and it, it's pricey for sure. But I will tell you though, if you want to get what I thought was the best box of food from a farmer, and I don't even know if Kong is shipping Oh shit! Yeah. To nationally, but Kong Tao of Tao's Farm has the most outrageous fucking boxes for forty bucks, and his Instagram is Kong Tao K O N G T H A O O three Kong Tao T H A O zero three. You can Venmo him. If you're in LA, you should pick up these boxes. There's a variety of places. I think you can even pick it up at Orson Winston on Saturdays and a few other places. And I'm sure if you reached out to Tao, he would probably send you it. But for 40 bucks, it was a bounty of things that I couldn't even believe. Like, I mean, listen, buying raw product in Los Angeles is just unbelievable. And uh, I'm sorry, East Coast, but cooking at home is a hell of a lot better on the West Coast <laughs> than it is on the East Coast, man. It's like, I never have to struggle to find anything Asian. It's so easy to make Asian food here. When I made all that shit about, uh, you know, ethnic food aisles being racist and all that, and I know there were a bunch of commenters in like the Washington Post where it published, people were like, in chat rooms, like, what's this guy fucking talking about? In LA, there's like nothing they Everything's like, you know, all over the place. <laughs> and I tell you the truth. Like, if I was born and raised in LA, I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> like, every supermarket <laughs> is amazing. Everyone. If you go to a Hispanic market, if you go to anything, like LAXE, like, every supermarket sells everything. It's unbelievable. It is the best city for buying food to cook at home. Just to be clear, Dave used to just talk so much shit to me about the West Coast. <laughs> and now he's had to reduce his shit talking to San Francisco specifically. No, because no, he no, loves no, no. it out I've here never, so much. I've now. always <laughs> listen. I, I've only 
talk shit about San Francisco. Just, just to be very clear about that. <laughs> fine, fine, <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Chris, I can also tell you as a SoCal native that I have also exclusively <laughs> talked shit about San Francisco all my life. <laughs> the Boston of the West Coast. Surprise, exactly. exactly. Surpri- oh, come on. Come on. No, no, no. Don't lump us in there. Um, all right. Let's 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 try to get through a few of these rapid fire because I feel like people have sent us <laughs> a many, ton, a ton of... Two that's two. That's two questions <laughs> no, 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 in 45 more, minutes. No, no. Let's oh, do, do another question. One more. One more. We promised people would get back to all no, the we're No, we're going to start blasting through some of these. So, Danab on iTunes also gave us five stars and said, uh, really enjoyed the episode with Chris, Chris Ling and Eddie Huang. And Chris on, Ling. On, on Lock on Ma. I guess that's, Chris Ling now. I, I get to take that as a comp. I'm going to take that as a compliment. I got to take it where you can. Um, also, the BLT off was quite entertaining. Question. I just bought a 10 liter German made crock pot. What do you suggest I ferment at home? That would be super interesting and unusual. Something not available at supermarkets utilizing vegetables from one of the farms in my area. Uh, Dong Chimi. You bought a crock pot. Just Google Dong Chimi. D-O-N-G-C-H-M-I? Dong Chimi? Yeah. C-H-I-M-I. Yeah. I think that'll get you there. C-H-I. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to talk to people at all? No. We want to blast through it. Make Dong Chimi. <laughs> all right. Water kimchi. Um, Make sure you have enough salt or you might get sick. <laughs> <laughs> you just listen to one of our old podcasts about that. Um, also, also there, there might be a, a step for you to actually use charcoal. I also suggest you do that if you're going right. to do the crock pot properly. So I'm just pulling that shit out of my ass. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking. <laughs> I was like charcoal and don't me. I have never heard that. <laughs> That's what. Well, he did say there might be to a sterilize to sterilize your pot. Ah, oh, interesting. Uh, Tiffany from Seattle says, I really love Cal Petternell's cookbook, 12 Recipes, and the idea that if his college-age kids could learn and master these recipes, they would become good cooks. What are five recipes or dishes you think home cooks should all know, master, or pass on to our kids to be better cooks? Anything simple, fancy, or in between? Um, some simple pasta dish. I always say cacio e pepe you should always have on hand because it's always a crowd pleaser, and it's basically MSG pasta. Um, <laughs> I think a simple like melted cheese sandwich of some sort where it's a, like a toaster convection type of thing, toaster oven type of thing, fried rice for sure. You got to learn how to make some kind of chicken dish. You know, I don't do that roast chicken trust stuff. <laughs> you don't want to learn the way I do it, which is really, really hackish, um, and microwaved. But I've talked about that recipe, the microwave chicken frozen, cut up with scissors. So it's one pot, you know, that's also a good one. And I'll add two more. You got to learn how to make a variety of egg dishes Two, You need to learn how to make very good vinaigrettes for salads. That's I it. Think, I, think that's a, I think that's a super good basis for cooking. I would, I would, I would maybe just throw in like... I guess your chicken dish, some like thing that instructs you on cooking a big piece of meat, right? Like that's a useful universal tool, whether it's boiling in the Chang way or not. Yeah, braise. You know what? Meat cooking is easy though. I really, I, I, I think it's like that because it's not something you're going to, if you're going to buy a piece of meat, you know what you're most likely going to do? You're going to Google it. You're going to have a recipe and you're going to follow right, that's it true. to a T. All right. Then I replace mine with some sort of vegetable stir fry, which I feel is is universally applicable. All right, let's see. What else we got? Uh, okay. Purple Pikmin on iTunes gave us five stars and says, 
I love the episodes that delve into food and culture, especially immigrant culture, but I'm disappointed that you don't acknowledge the influence that home cooks, i.e. women, have on cultural food traditions. In nearly every traditional culture, women have been the ones to make meager ingredients into delicious meals and uphold religious and cultural rights involving food. As women seek parity in the workforce and, and many people don't cook anymore, do you believe that professional chefs and food writers now carry that responsibility? What is the responsibility of eaters to expand their understanding of other food cultures? And what is their responsibility to continue their own traditions? Uh, there's a lot there. Well, I think the responsibility is doing exactly what the question is. And we need to keep on asking these questions and reminding everybody if a story is being told in a certain way, there's probably more than likely another perspective on the other end. So, you know, yeah. I think that's what we need to do is just have these conversations. And I, I think I think that Purple Pikmin, I wish I didn't have to say your name. I'm sure you have a normal name. Brings up something you and I have been talking about a lot, Chang, as, as we're sort of, you know, last week uh, we announced this new documentary series we're making with Morgan Neville. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to be working with Morgan and Tremolo again. And, and in those discussions of this series we're doing, you know, you and I have been talking a lot about, you know, innovation before restaurants and how home cooking did really drive food culture for most of human history. And, and so I think that this listener brings up a, a super good point that before it was all about you know, restaurants and chefs, this responsibility was very much on on home cooks who were trying to make do with with what they had. And and uh it's very much on our minds and, and I think we're trying to do as much as we can to to sort of celebrate that. But as always, we like to read criticism. <laughs> um let's see, what else we got here? Uh we got a lot of suggestions by the way for the recipe club and what direction to take that. A lot of people re- I would say the top two requests are mapa tofu and chicken wings. So we'll figure out where we're going with that one. And then we got a few more emails that were speaking to your waffle maker sandwich hack that you brought up recently. Whoa, Chang. whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, everyone is in favor. They were just multiple emails were pointing us to the Australian j- jaffle, jaffle, jaffle makers, which are basically like waffle irons that you use specifically to make sandwiches that you stuff. Let me look this shit up. I mean, I lived in Australia for basically like almost two years. I never heard of this shit. So, I mean, <laughs> Jaffle Maker? J A F F L E, Jaffle Maker. It's like oh, a panini, it's a press, panini press, press that you, you stuff, but I think it seals the edges of the bread. So you stuff, you basically make stuffed sandwiches or something. I'm just saying, we got a few emails about this, dude. I love Australia and, um, <laughs> I've never heard of it. I'm sure it's a thing. And I don't want to piss everyone off again. It, you know, this is like, you know, if I pissed off all of San Francisco with my figs on a plate, the second one that pissed off a whole entire country was when I said they make terrible burgers, which they do for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Uh, the only thing that's bad about Austri- Aussie burgers is this. That's it. And all I wanted to bring up was this thing. Two things you can't really add, although I like it sometimes. An egg on a burger I like sometimes. But you cannot put canned beetroot on a burger. That that's it. That's all I was trying to like shed light on. Is that is uh, listen? I I'm all about breaking trends in certain things. But that is not something you do. I just you don't you know mix ketchup with milk. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make any sense. You know, even Chris who mixed Laogan Ma with mayonnaise doesn't do hey, that. Hey, 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 leave me you know, out of so, this, dude. 
This was your. This is your. Your cross to bear. So, Leave me out of this. So no, I, I'm okay with that, right? Like, if I, I love Australia. Everyone there knows I love Australia. We are Russian there. I genuinely love Australia very much because I, I would move there, uh, and I did move there. And the one thing that I've always just wrestled with was how the fuck could they put beetroot on a burger? They'll make any sense. That's it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Hold on. Can I actually follow up on your on your Australia takes, Chang? Oh. Uh, what's your feeling on Vegemite? Um, I think it's great. Maramite is different, but everyone says it's different. They taste very similar to me. <laughs> I think that Vegemite is delicious when mixed with butter. Mm-hmm. And I actually like it. When you mix Vegemite with butter, you can't eat Vegemite straight, in my opinion. You got to mix it with butter. And here's another thing. We were talking about that MSG question earlier. Vegemite is loaded in glutamic acid. It is very high in umami. So I'm pro-Vegemite. Yeah, I just wanted to give you a chance to redeem yourself from (laughs) all of our uh, listeners down under. There's nothing to redeem. Listen, there's certain things that are fact and I will not back away from. (laughs) You can certainly eat a burger with beet on it and say it's good. But to proclaim that this is... (laughs) Like the best way to eat oh a burger? Come on, that is outrageous. You should have ended it on the note of I'm a fan of Vegemite. Just move on. You should have just moved on. <laughs> uh, no, he's right though. I mean, that's the perfect way of saying it. Yeah, it is a perfect way of saying it. You can you can eat a, a burger with a slice of kid beetroot on it. You can. But you can't proclaim it to be the, <laughs> the champion, the like the, the, the goat of burgers. I mean, no. I mean, I, I think that's a terrible burger. I mean, it's a terrible I, burger. I think I like just leaving it as like, you could. You don't have, I mean, sure. Do it. That should just be the answer to every single question that we get yeah, in the can. mailbag. I mean, you can like, do that. You know what I'm going to see on like some kind of Hardee's or like Wendy's or In N Out at or Shake Shack? You know what I'm not going to see? A new beetroot burger. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, it's true. If 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 it's any indication, like fast food companies are the best at sort of like picking and cherry picking ideas and spreading them, and they have not picked that one up. So uh you know what I have seen? Sriracha Mayo. Like I love (laughs) you know, fast food in Australia is so good too. And burgers are really good. I've had great burgers because the beef in Australia is fantastic. I just I'm not a fan. I Listen, I'll eat an egg on a burger, and I've had it many times, and I'll enjoy it because I like the egg yolk. But you can't do egg and beetroot. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Oh, man. That's that's just too much. <laughs> All right. I, I agree. Um, okay. Well, do you guys want, for our last one here, a, uh, uh, a serious question or a, a sports question? Let's do both. All right, fair enough. Our serious question has to do with sort of a lot of the issues happening in, in food and restaurants right now. It's from Lance Roberts, who wrote into the email address and says, I very much want to hear thoughts about who should get credit for restaurant dishes and how. I've not seen any chefs addressing this, and so this course is being shaped by food writers. Not sure if that's ideal. Cheng, does that, you want to you jump in on that one? Well, I don't know. Like, I can see both sides. I've worked at places where basically it's like anything you do here is the, the, it's like you work at IBM, you know, or Apple. It's like whatever happens, it's the, the restaurants or it's the chefs. 
you know, some people think that every person should be listed. And I think people do. Like, if you go on websites, a lot of times it's like, can you even fit it on a menu? There are ways to honor it. I will say that in my past, I found that a lot of, we've, I remember early on in Manoodle Bar, a lot of people didn't want their names on a menu. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we asked. But for me, I'm sure I've slipped up in the past. But I think anytime anyone's ever asked me who made a dish, or who's responsible for it? I've told them right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've never been one to sort of say, you know, giving credit to people that have influenced anything that we've done has been imperative to me, which is why I've studied and mined so many cookbooks and anything that's out there because I never want to take from someone because I know how crucial it is to feeling like you created something. It's so hard to actually do something new. And that really shaped a lot of the dishes that we used to make. And I would never want to do a dish if it was actually from someone else. And I very rarely would say, oh, not rarely. It would happen because I would make sure that it was my dish. But if there were elements, like I will tell you an example, like the spicy rice cake dish that Sambar served for so many years. It started with Josh McFadden, who worked with us. And that sort of the genesis of that idea came from Kino Baca, who was making braised tripe with, Korean ingredients, but he was trying to recreate it in flavor. That was how he grew up eating it in, in Mexico because he's Mexican. And then, you know, Tin Ho came. So it was like, it was like, you know, Kino, Josh, Tin, who was like, everyone was like at certain place, took it and then like added to it and it came together. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, that's the story. And I, I can say like, I'm sure someone would be like, well, Dave, you, you're the one that put it all together. I'm like, yeah, but you know, like I'm just part of this story and I'm excited that it happened. I'm more excited that it happened. And the funny thing is I've told that story a lot, a lot of different ways. And at least on the journalist perspective, it's always been like, well, David Chang's <laughs> spicy rice cake dish. And I've never once said it's my fucking recipe. I've, I'm part of it. I made a few tweaks to it, but I will never lay claim to that's my recipe, you know? And I'm sure like if anyone asked, like I can tell you, you know, now we have so many restaurants, it's hard for me, but it's one of the reasons why I always wanted to give, like, chefs that run the restaurants, it's their menu. Mm-hmm. You know, I do very, very little. <laughs> I don't have the bandwidth to do it, and I want to make sure that we provide the tools and the scope to allow the chefs and their teams to make the dishes that they see fit and to put their fingerprints on it. So that's just something that I felt very strongly about, and I still do. I don't think it's a simple question. I mean, you, you point to the sort of IBM thing, and, and that's where my head goes immediately, too. You know, my, my dad worked for Hughes Engineering for 40 years, and at, at no point did he think, you know, anything I'm inventing or creating as an engineer here belongs to me. But by the same token, he got paid a lot better, <laughs> you know, and, and same with, like, tech workers. And, and I don't think it, I think it's just a fault of the system, right? Like, that's that's the thing is this has not been codified in any sort of way like it is at Google where that you there's very specific rules about what you can do in your spare time or or, or what what belongs to you intellectually right. I think but I it's think different it's, too in restaurants exactly because you're, you're not getting compensated in ways I mean listen I, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a story where I remember seeing it for the first time I worked for a chef who was going to put a dish on and it won't say what kind of dish because it would reveal too much and we worked on it for like a month and then he decided yeah, I remember saying, like, I'm not going to fucking put this dish on. I don't want this chef to take credit for my dish. Hmm. And we never put it on. And I could understand that, too. Hmm. Right? 
I mean, I, I can see both sides and I can understand the anger and resentment. It's it's hard because it hasn't been codified. And I'll tell you the truth. The reason why no one gives a shit about this is because there's no money in it. Exactly. And you can't tell me you can't trademark a recipe because that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Every fast food, every big fucking person that sells snacks or Doritos or some kind of candy bar, that's a trademarked recipe. You can trademark it when there's value and monetary, like, things behind it. And currently, no one's going to care unless restaurants can find a way to actually make money. And that's a sad reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's the sad reality of, of the situation. I, I, and, and Lance, who wrote in here, I think, you know, puts a little bit of the blame at food writers' feet, which I don't disagree with. As somebody who who dabbles in that field myself, like chefs didn't create the cult of the chef. They weren't the ones who who heard Dave tell the story of spicy rice cakes and then walked away and said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Dave Chang spicy rice cakes, right? Well, but, but Yang, we've we've talked about this in other podcasts pre-pandemic, which makes it seem completely insignificant now. But I've always said, like, I thought food writers didn't do enough work about the lineage of dishes and how they sort of came about. So, how could they? There's just too much fucking information to know. So, listen, I think it's an important question to ask. I think we're going to sort it out. Hopefully, but at the end of the day, this is a very important thing to know. Even if you are a one man or women kitchen, right? You're one person. There is no no such thing as making food as a singular effort. Not at all. Which is why I think if you work in really healthy kitchens, they'll tell you the most important fucking role is not the chef. It's always going to be the prep team or the dishwasher. And that's always been the case. That is the most important role in positions. So... Even if you are running your own restaurant as like a sushi chef might, there are so many people involved that allow you to operate and do what you do. And that's just the reality. There's no such thing as a singular effort in anything, I think, but certainly not in serving food. There are so many fucking people that allow that to be the case, even if you just serve figs on a plate. (laughs) Oh, man, we're digging out the greatest hits now. Um, Okay. We're, we're way over our time here. The, the sports question from Neil Bhattacharya was one that most people ask, and I think you've answered to some extent here before, Chang, but uh, Dan Snyder, infamous asshole and NFL owner, has finally succumbed to the name change. What do you think the name's going to be, and uh, are you are you going to still be a fan of Snyder? I don't care. Snyder? I don't care. I mean, it, everyone's asked me about the, the Washington football team, and I could care less. Um, <laughs> I think it's... Truly, the only way it works is if Dan Snyder resigns and he sells the team. And it doesn't matter. That team is inconsequential. Even if I play fantasy this year, which I doubt, I'm not going to draft a goddamn player on that team. And it's not their fault. I just, you got to root against them. If you're a real fan, you root against the goddamn can Washington I just, football team. I know we've said this, but like, can I ask you very honestly? Like, are you, when you see, let's say like a, a Washington football game is on in the background, like, are you really able to separate yourself from like your whole childhood of, of cheering for this team and be like, I want them to lose? Yeah, because it was under different ownership. And I'm sure if it was under Jack King Cook, as proudful of a man as he was, I'm sure he would have been very reasonable. He was on those same lines of Abe Poland, who I disagreed about changing the name Bullets to the Wizards. But he did it because Abe wanted to make sure that he was not a symbol of violence because Washington, D.C. was that. You know, he, he did it preemptively. And it's not appropriate for that name to be the way it is and for him to operate 
that team the way it was. And I think that if it was Jack Ken Cook and the old glory days of that team, I think they would have made a lot of changes proactively. And that's just the truth of the matter. I think he is... I will never root for that team as long as that guy... I will never name that fucking guy's name ever again because I hate him so much. Right? So... The only other team that I hated more was the Peter Angelos because he ruined the Orioles after he didn't sign Mike Mussina and the Yankees took him. Oh, man. Um, I'm sorry we, could, we didn't get to everybody's questions, but going through the email inbox like is really a <laughs> surprising highlight for me. People are writing in really lovely messages, sharing a lot of their own experiences, and it's really nice. I, f- I feel like people are really in a conversation with us. We read everything. I send Chang as as much as <laughs> as humanly possible. He's seeing this stuff, and and uh, it's it's very nice to to know how engaged our audience is. Man, we love you guys very much. Thank you for this, uh, your listenership, and um, you know Isaac. Thank you. Hope you enjoy your vacation. All right. <laughs>